please take your Bibles and open to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, as we look there at the parable of the rich fool. As we, um, throughout our sermon series on Jesus' parables, we've been there for a couple months now. We've been looking, if you've noticed, I've been putting the parables in groups or in categories that share common themes. Now, we've looked at parables related to the kingdom of God. That's kind of how we began. Uh, parables of lostness, like the lost sheep and the lost coins. We've looked at parables of discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus as a disciple. And last week's parable showed us our responsibility to forgive as we have been forgiven as followers of Jesus. And today, we're, our parable is going to focus on our responsibility towards God in regards to our possessions. So as believers, as those that are part of Christ's kingdom, we have responsibilities to live the gospel out before others and how we forgive one another, but also in how we relate to God and our possessions and our plans, I might add. So we're going to be in Luke 12, looking at verses 13 to 21, as we look at Jesus' famous parable on the rich fool. So turn in your Bibles, and we'll read the text there. This is what it says. It says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his words. So let's begin with the context of this parable. Notice that in this text, it begins with Jesus being interrupted. Jesus is teaching, he's having a teaching discourse, and he, a, a man interrupts Jesus in the middle of his teaching, and he wants Jesus to settle an inheritance dispute between him and his brother. And Jesus responds to this interruption with a question. Now, it's the same question, by the way, that um, two Israelites asked Moses when, he, when Moses intervened in a squabble back um, in Exodus between two um, Israelites. And it's the question of, who made me the judge and arbitrator over you? Now, Jesus' point here is quite plain. What Jesus is saying is, listen to me, man. There are courts and there are judges in all of Israel for you to go and have this dispute settled. That's not my job. That's not why I came. If you, want to, if, you want this, if you want this dispute settled, go to a judge, go to the court, 
But that is not who I am or why I am here. But notice that Jesus, as a master teacher, he uses this interruption as an opportunity to instruct those in the crowd because Jesus sees in this man, because Jesus sees and knows all things, Jesus sees in this man a spiritually damaging issue that affects all of us to some degree, some more than others. And Jesus takes this as an opportunity to warn the crowd. Look what he says. He says, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's the 10th commandment, right? Be on guard against covetousness. Um, one of my friends used to always joke, and he would say um, he loved Corvettes. He loved Corvettes. I won't say his name because my kids and my wife know who I'm talking about. But every time he would see a Corvette, he would say, man, I don't want to covet, so I don't want that one. I just want one like it. So what he say all the time. I don't, I don't want that guy's Corvette. I just want one like it. But Jesus is warning us here. He says, look what he says. He says, take, take, um, take care, be on your guard against this kind of thing. He says that we have to be guarded against a preoccupation with possessions because that will cut you off from spiritual life. Now remember, Jesus' preaching ministry, all up until this point, he's been preaching about spiritual life and our need for eternal life. And so when this guy interrupts Jesus, Jesus points out is it, the reason he interrupts is because his heart is set on temporary possessions instead of eternal life. Now this is very applicable to our current culture, right? Where we live and crave and long for comfort, possessions, and what we call the American dream. Our culture, if you watch the news or you pay attention, our culture gauges a person's value and worth by what they have. That is the metric for why somebody matters in our culture. Right? Just think of it. That's why our media cares more about what rich celebrities and athletes think despite their lack of experience or education in a field, simply because they are rich. So we're gauging it not based on really what they're saying, but because of the money that they have at their disposal. So you know this is the case when someone's Twitter becomes the subject of headline news. Riches do not make someone wise. That's a good place for an amen. Riches do not make you wise. That's a clear teaching of the scripture. Riches do not make you wise. And conversely, this should be a big amen, poverty doesn't make someone a fool. Amen. I know many a poor person who is much more intelligent and smart than many a rich person I have known. Okay, so that is the point. So we need to take that into account. As we're about to see in our parable, in fact, riches can actually make you a fool. The very title of this text is the rich fool. And so riches can make you a fool in this way. They distract you from the main purpose of life. So in verse 15, verse 15 serves as the main principle of the text. Look what Jesus says in verse 15. 
He says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so the parable that Jesus teaches here is an illustration of that main truth. So, here it is in a nutshell. You can write this down. This is the biblical truth you can take home. Our lives are more than our possessions. Our lives are more than our possessions. And so, let's look at the parable and pull out several key truths. So the parable occurs in the following verses. So I have here three truths um, that, you can, that you can work with here today. Here's number one. The first truth in our parable is this. God is the source of everything we have and enjoy. God is the source of everything we have and enjoy. Look at verse 16, how Jesus begins his parable. Jesus says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. So Jesus begins by pointing to this simple truth. God has provided for this man everything he has, whether he admits it or not. This man did not produce his wealth. The land did. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Every Jewish listener of Jesus would have immediately understood that God is sovereign over the field. God is sovereign over the rain. God is sovereign over the growth of the crops. God is sovereign over the distribution of the natural resources. God is sovereign over the harvest. I'm not saying that this man didn't work. He most likely planted the fields, did everything a good farmer would have done. But in the end, God produces the fruit. You can ask any farmer in our own church. They can do all the things right and still have crop failure. At the end of the day, they are dependent upon God to provide and to produce. So here, Jesus is pointing that out. This man is simply a steward of what God has entrusted to him. And this is why, as a steward, he is responsible for what God has given him. I'll remind you of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Paul tells the church at Corinth, he, said, he asked this question. It's a great question for you to ask yourself. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Paul's point is that everything you have is by God's grace. Everything you have, mind, soul, body, spirit, health, possessions, it has all been provided by you, provided for you by God. So if God provided all of that for you, why do you boast as though it is all your doing? That's the point. If God is the source of all that we have, and He supplies all that we have and enjoy, we must recognize that truth and rejoice in His care and provision from Him. Listen, we worship God as creator and sustainer of our lives. And as Paul says in Romans again, Paul says this, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory. Everything you have, that's point number one, everything you have, everything that you enjoy, you need to know that God is the source of that. We don't worship the, what has been given. We don't, worship the, we don't worship the gift. We worship the giver, the one who supplies. And that's how Jesus begins his parable. So that's the first truth you need to take home with you today. Second, notice that Jesus takes a radical turn in the second point, the, 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 the second truth, and it's this. Without acknowledging God as that source of all the things that you, uh, you love and enjoy, 
without acknowledging God as that source, you can only move towards pride and self-deception. That's the only place you can go. If you do not acknowledge God as the giver and the provider of all that you have and enjoy, the only alternative then is to turn towards self and self-deception. Pride and self-deception. Look at verses 17 through 19. So after this land produces plentifully, God provides. It says, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. Um, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. So notice that without reg any regard for God's provision and blessing, this man has a conversation with who? Himself. He's not talking to God. He's not praying. He's not thanking God for what he has. No. Notice all of the I's and personal pronouns in the text. What shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. I will do this. I will tear down and build. I will store my grain. I will say to my soul, you have everything you need. Eat, drink, and be merry. He's not talking to God. He's having a conversation with himself. He's the captain of his life and his soul. And I want to say this. This is the warning. Without your life and soul settled in God, the only place left to turn is to the God of self and possessions. And let me just tell you, those are cruel gods indeed. It is the essence of idolatry to substitute anyone or anything for God. But without having our lives properly oriented towards Him, we are only left with some form of the idolatry of self. It has been famously said, our hearts are idol-making factories. If God is not the satisfier of our hearts and souls, then our heart will churn up a God to worship. And it's usually self. So, that's what happens. Romans 1, Romans 1 if you go read Romans 1, it details humanity's attempts at worshiping the creature over the creator. And it says there, professing to be wise, they became fools and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So what this text does, what Jesus is showing us, is Jesus is showing us how riches can deceive us and lead us away from the true purpose of life. And if you're wondering, well, Jacob, what is the chief purpose of life? What is the chief end of man? Well, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's why we were created, for the glory of God over all else. That is it. So here's the truth. Here's the truth. And this is the stinging truth. If we are honest, all of us want to be this rich man. All of us want what he has. All of us want the bountiful provision that he has been given. All of us want really the freedom to live and choose and do as this man without any respect for God. And I just want to say that this is a picture of the self-made man. Emphasis on self. And I just want to say here, if you want to go on throwback in time, some of our older congregation will appreciate this illustration. Do you remember Reb Tevye from Fiddler on the Roof? 
who sings the song, If I Were a Rich Man. And he's pointed out in that, in that story, it says, when he was told that money is the world's curse, he says this, May the Lord smite me with it, and may I never recover. That's the picture. We want, we ultimately want this. This is our heart, our desire. But Jesus says that we must be careful about being deceived by riches and possessions. If you remember in the parable of the soils we looked at very early in our study, Jesus says this in Matthew 13, As for the seed that was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And what does Jesus warn his disciples? He says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Paul warns Timothy, he says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils, that it is through this craving, this desire, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many pangs. Heed the warning. If you do not live for God's glory and purpose, then you are only left with the idolatry of pride and self. That's all you have left. Cruel masters indeed. But there's a third truth, and this is one that gets to the very heart of the parable. This is the other point Jesus wants to drive home today, and it's this. Life is short. Life is fragile. And life is uncertain. Life is short, life is fragile, and life is uncertain. Look at verse 20. After all of this man's plans, what does God say? But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? I just want to point out that this is the only New Testament parable where God is named as the actor in the parable. And God acts in this parable by making a pronouncement on this man. God's pronouncement on this man for all of his plans and dreams as he lies awake and dreams of these bigger barns and a life of ease and comfort, God says that he is a fool. He is not wise. He has lived foolishly. Psalm, 144, Psalm 14.1 says this, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's what Psalm 14.1 says. God places this man, this rich man, in the same category as an outright atheist who denies God with all of who they are. They are the same. Now this is why. The reason they are the same is because the atheist and this man live and choose and act based on the premise that there is not a God with whom they must give an account. That's the point. The rich fool in our story is simply a practical atheist. He might not deny there is a God, but he lives as though there is no God. He lives for wealth, comfort, and pleasure. Those are his gods. And God says that because he has not taken seriously his soul, he is a fool. He is a fool for not recognizing God as the source of his blessings, and he is a fool for not understanding his responsibility and accountability before God. Now let me add this. Keep thinking with me. Let me add here that being a fool, again, is not tied to your socioeconomic plight in this world. Rich people and poor people can live and choose foolishly. 
those that are lazy and unproductive do-nothings are living under the same premise as this rich fool. The rich fool is living for comfort and ease through their wealth, and the unproductive and lazy are living for their comfort and ease by escaping the hardship of work. But what are they both still worshiping? Comfort. It is the same on both ends of the perspective. And God says, both are fools because they aren't using the resources of body, mind, and health that God gave them for the glory of God and the good of others, and they are fools. And after God pronounces him a fool, God shows him the folly of his choices. He says that this night your soul is required of you. Do you see the contrast between this man's plans and God's? Right? Notice the contrast between all of this man's plans and dreams and what he knew he could do in his own mind, power, and strength and what God says. The point is that this man's life and our lives are always more fragile than we'd like to admit. Think of how the Bible describes our lives. Your life is a vapor. Your life is a mist. Your life is like a shadow. It's like a weaver's scuttle. It is here today and gone tomorrow. It's like the grass that's gathered and thrown into the oven. Our lives are much more short and uncertain than we could ever even imagine. And that's what Jesus is driving us back to. James says it this way. This is a picture of this man in James. James says, Come now, you who say, Tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Now, here's, the, here's, here's what this means. Listen, life is incredibly fragile and uncertain. Jesus ends verse 20 by saying that you, you ultimately have no control over how your life will end and over how, how your stuff will be used when you're gone. I want you to stop and think for a second. All of us in here, just stop and think for just a moment. Think of how quickly life can change. And how uncertain it really is. It only takes waking up and finding a small lump you've never noticed before. Life can change just like that. All it takes is a slight glance at your phone while driving. It's over. All it takes is that one pill that you thought wasn't laced with fentanyl. And it's over. For those 10 innocent people in Buffalo a few short weeks ago, it simply took going to the grocery store. For those children and teachers in Uvalde, Texas, it only took going to school like they had done every day previously. Life can change like that. And James says that life is a vapor, and though you may plan and plan and plan, you are ultimately living on God's timetable. Some of you seniors who just graduated need to remember that. You might think you have all the plans in the world and you can live for Jesus later. You do not know that. You are on God's timetable. You are ultimately responsible to him. And Jesus says that you are a fool if you do not recognize that 
truth. That is the truth. Possessions never give us the security or the certainty that we think they do. Our health never gives us the security or certainty that we think it does. Even in a country as great as America, our country does not give us the security and safety that we think it does. Life is more than health, comfort, and possessions because eternity hangs in the balance. So I want to close with Jesus' conclusion. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, this is the teaching point. I've given you the principle, life is more than your possessions. I've given you the parable, and look at Jesus' conclusion, verse 21. He says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself. They are fools and is not rich towards God. Jesus' point again is what he said in verse 15. Life is more than our possessions. We must not simply live for this world and not for God's kingdom and purposes. Jesus says that his disciples seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. We are to live for that. We do not live for that by holding tightly to this world. Holding tightly to our comforts. Tightly to our rights. Tightly to our futures. But by sacrificing all of those things for the glory of Jesus. We don't waste our lives on what doesn't matter for eternity. We cannot live as practical atheists in this life because in this life here and now, eternal life hangs in the balance. Listen, our eternal souls are what matter. And all the wealth in the world and all the comforts in the world won't matter if you are not rich in Jesus. It will not matter if you are not rich in Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says again as he's been teaching in Matthew. Jesus says this. Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Quit worshiping self. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Doesn't that sound like the rich fool? If you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul, or what will a man give in return for his soul? When we come to Jesus, hear me, when we come to Jesus in repentance and faith, what we are doing is laying down everything that we have, everything that we are, all that we will ever be, and we lay that down and exchange it for Jesus. Because he's worth more than anything this world could offer. That's what it means to come to Jesus. If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, coming in repentance and faith means coming and laying self down, laying everything I have down and saying, I'm putting this down and I'm going to take up Jesus because he's worth it. The problem in this text isn't the possessions. Look, God gives all of us according to his purposes and grace. The problem isn't having possessions. I hope God blesses all of us. The problem isn't the possessions, it's the improper use of them. It's the improper recognition of who, to, to whom we are actually accountable. And the answer is we are accountable to Jesus. Listen to how Paul, to what Paul tells Timothy. Is I think he had this text and this story in mind when he writes this. Paul warns Timothy and he says this. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be prideful, nor to set their hopes. Do you see that? Set their hopes 
set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God is the source of everything we have and enjoy. They are to do good. If you're rich, do good. Be rich in good works and be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Don't store it all in barns here. Store it for the future. When you stand before Jesus and give an account, and he says, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So our life can't be what we have or what we don't have. It has to be found in Jesus. Whether you have little or much, if you have Jesus, I promise you have enough. Amen? Whether you have little or much, if you have Jesus, you have enough. Only He can satisfy the longings of your soul and save you not only from your sin, but from yourself. So this morning, I want to just close with that thought. If you don't know Jesus, then the first thing is you need to recognize you're accountable to Him. And you need to come in repentance and faith. If you're a Christian and you've been drawn and lured away in this, I, I struggle with this too, guys. I have to come back and recenter myself all the time on the truth of the gospel. But if you're here and you're a believer, maybe, tonight, maybe today you just need to come and pray here again and say, Jesus, you're the source of everything I have and enjoy. And I know this, short, this, this life is short and fragile and I don't, get to, I don't know my expiration date. And all my plans, all of that need to be wrought in who you are, understanding that every day I have belongs to you. And I'm going to enjoy each day in you more and more. And if you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of ours where we don't do everything perfect. We're not aiming to be a perfect church. We're aiming to be a church that honors Jesus. That's why we exist. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would be glorified as we've heard your word this morning. Father, I know it has challenged me and it has, it has burdened me. And so, Father, I pray that today... You'd speak clearly as we sing and as we rejoice in Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name.